Welcome to The Field Trip, a podcast about the future of commercial real estate, the future of law, and everything in between. I'm Alistair Fitzgerald, the CEO of Field, and you can check out what we do at fieldql.com. But we aren't here to talk about us. Instead, we seek out industry thought leaders and ask them to share their insights on what the future looks like to them. In this episode, I was very excited to get the chance to speak with Louise Munger, the newly appointed Program Director for Technology and Innovation for Real Estate at AMP Capital. Louise has managed a masterful career progression, starting as an electrician in the mining industry, moving into real estate facilities management to ultimately lead that function for AMP Capital and to now take that technical understanding, market know-how and executive savvy to be responsible for the entire real estate technology agenda for AMP Capital. We cover a lot of ground with Louise, including the opportunities for automation of building maintenance and operations, how younger generations are driving new requirements in workplace design, the enormous challenge and opportunity that data generation and analysis presents to landlords and tenants alike, and how Louise finds meditation and calm by refereeing elite-level netball. Please enjoy my conversation with Louise Munger, the newly appointed Program Director for Technology and Innovation for Real Estate at AMP Capital. I certainly enjoyed it. We start with Louise explaining her new position, which was formalised on the day we recorded this podcast. So I was explaining that I am going to be taking on a new role as the Program Director for Technology and Innovation for Real Estate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working for about 12 months as the asset technology lead and leading strategy as it relates to our uh, building technology. Um, This, as program director, I'll be leading technology strategy for real estate across um, enterprise tech, um, including customer and digital, um, data and analytics, and the asset technology space. So kind of bringing together- across all asset classes? Across all asset classes, yeah, across our platform. Uh, so Retail's interesting. Really exciting. <laughs> Retail has yeah. the most opportunity, yeah. I think. Mm. Um, the most opportunity to really differentiate how we're offering services to our customers. So there's um, a lot we can do there. A lot of touch points in the customer journeys. Mm. And I think there's a lot more we can do with data that's coming out of shopping centres as well. Yeah, mm. I, that, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I had this theory about shopping centers and I always go back and I think you know if if e-commerce is the enemy then how does e-commerce function and what capability does it have that bricks and mortar Mm -hmm. real estate or Mm -hmm. bricks and mortar retail does not have Um, and the the detailed analytics about who's shopping where they go what they do how much they spend that granular information and about the person as well and being able to put advertising in front of them is just that killer combination that is making it so hard that bricks and mortar currently yes. can't come close to yes. um, being able to um, being able to replicate. So it's those kinds of things I think are quite yeah. interesting, and it brings in a whole lot of technology and skills. I think that are well, like they're well beyond commercial real estate. I think they're mm-hmm. well beyond bricks and mortar mm-hmm. retail as well. And I think I mean a combination of the two is best. Yeah. So there's a lot of research um, for retailers that have a strong online presence. Um, that is also supported by a bricks and mortar store equates to highest sales. Absolutely. Even if that sale isn't converted in the bricks and mortar store, it's a place where people can go and mm. physically touch and play and you know yep. see the product. So, mm. but then attribution um, for that kind of thing. So, how can a landlord say, "Hey, you should be paying more for exactly. my space because we can give you hard data that's exactly. saying that we brought the right kind of people there and that mm-hmm. was the you know in the funnel going to the sale." Yep. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be fun. Mm. Um, so <laughs> we kind of got off on, yes. a, on a different start. Louise, thanks so much for um, for taking an hour out of your day to have a chat. Um, I'm really interested just to touch on your professional background because mm-hmm. we were speaking about before we turned the um, recorder on. Um, it's a quite an interesting path. Um, so if correct me if I'm wrong, sort of started with a trade got mm-hmm. into facilities management, yep. um, did that for a while through a few different organisations, then transitioned to working for AMP Capital That's right. in the facilities management area yep. and then have you know, progressively morphed into the kind of role that you're talking about there, which yes. is an amazing um, ascension um, and, and congratulations Thank again you. for that. Um, but the thing that I found interesting, and stop me if I, if I screwed yeah. up that, that, um, that pathway, but the so the 
where your your most recent role before AMP Capital was that looking after the um, was it a facilities management role for the the real estate that that organisation yes. owned? Yes. And so you went from thinking as and, and leased as well. I uh, imagine so we so um, I worked for the facility management provider to yes. AMP Capital's portfolio. Right. So it yeah. was you're a service provider more so to than AMP looking Capital. after the own. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it was. Yeah. It was going from consultant side to in-house. Uh, yeah, service providers probably a more appropriate okay. term. Yep. So. Um, AMP Capital outsourced facility management services, and yep. I was on the contract of staff that provided that service. So uh, it was my second job off the tools, actually. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did so was it? Um, so was it the fact that it was AMP Capital that you're working for that that made that Absolutely. transition? Yeah. 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 That was a. Uh, definitely appeal the size of the portfolio the quality of the assets um, the opportunity to work with some of the best you know facility management professionals mm-hmm. um, having decided at that point that was what my career was going to be yep. facility management yep. so yeah that was the uh, opportunity to work with AMP and was point. there a different um, you know because as, as a lawyer I've spent time working as an in-house lawyer mm-hmm. and, and working in law firms and there's certainly a different mindset that applies and different skills that are required. Was that the case for for the sort of the two sort of roles that you um, from, from Look, I think it's evolved. I think maybe a decade or so when I started out in FM, uh, it probably wasn't the most customer focused uh, profession. It should be, but mm-hmm. it probably necessarily wasn't. There were some pockets of that, but um, very it was still maybe old school, if you'd like to say then. Um, uh, in terms of generational change, it would have been predominantly older men, a lot of ex-trades. If you think your, t- your typical building manager mm. carrying around a bunch of keys, yep. that's a lot of yep. kind of what I walked into. Mm-hmm. So the opportunities for somebody young, female, with a technical background coming mm-hmm. into that to really shape um, a different way of approach, I think is probably what's uh, enabled my career since then. Yeah. And... Um, and sort of touches on something I was thinking about that with so over that period since you've made that transition so let's so look back over the last decade say um, and looking at how sustainability and building technology has mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. had this mass you know very steep steep climb to the right mm-hmm. um, is that so for, for inside an organisation like AP Capital is it being um, I mean, I think in the notes yeah. I gave you before, yeah. is it sexier now within within an organisation like this than it used to be? I think it's becoming strategic and that's becoming more obvious where those um, where we're leading those functions out of, the level of the organisation, if you like. Mm-hmm. So um, in leading technology as, you know, an executive within our real estate team, um, that's quite significant change from perhaps where we were five years ago. Uh, you're also seeing that with sustainability functions across the sector as well. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and do the two, like, do you deal in both or are they separate functions? Uh, work very closely together yep. because uh, a lot of, particularly in Australia, a lot of, um, well, the fact that we had the Neighbours rating scheme mm-hmm. has driven a lot of innovation around that. Yep. Um, and I think globally you would say that we've got world-class innovation around um, greening our buildings. Um, so what you're seeing is, I think maybe a decade ago, sustainability coming through. Um, the whole green building concept. Now you're hearing the smart building concept. Um, we'll get to the point where they will just be buildings and that they will be standard <laughs> offerings. Yes. That, you know, that's a base uh, expectation, I think, of the generations coming through into the workforce, that buildings are smart and they're green. Um, I, I, it's great. I can, I can look back through your, your LinkedIn profile yes. and see some of the really interesting things that you've done and, and, and things that you've spoken at. I saw... Um, uh, you spoke at a total facilities conference, I think, either earlier this year or last year, which was like a trade show of fancy stuff, yep. fancy tech out there. Like, what, what, what is happening in this space that a lot of people uh, in the industry yeah. wouldn't be aware of that you're finding really exciting? Um, automation is the big one. So, particularly as um, previously being an electrician, I was amazed to see some of the testing that I used to do manually as a trade, now being automated and being done by computers. 
um, which also flows through into the reporting function and everything else. So uh, at that particular conference, it's quite focused on maintenance mm -hmm. and more and more, I think there's different processes being automated through um, machines, computer programming and that sort of thing. So that's testing of building systems through yeah. an automated process rather than someone going with Correct. a clipboard yeah. or... Sorry, yeah. Sure. yeah, exactly right. That yeah. Up, but that, that's yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, no, that's... Um, no, I, I, as somebody who doesn't know, like who mm. thinks they know quite a bit about commercial real estate, I know that I just don't yeah. know a lot about yes. that. So, yeah. um, and and I was quite, you know, I've, I've followed and have practiced in the, you know, issues around the different rating schemes mm. and the regulatory requirements around that. Um, so, I sort of have an understanding yeah. that I think there's automation is um, probably over the next decade in terms of. Uh, facility management and operations of building going to be the biggest disruptor. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great opportunity for landlords because the more that we can um, automate the maintenance and technical aspects, that's that's um, money that we can invest in customer-facing staff and programs and changing that experience. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the uh, profession will evolve and you'll have more centralised management of technical services because you'll have single pane of glass, be able to see um, and watch your entire portfolio, um, bearing in mind that other industries already do this really, really well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so who, um, who are the leaders that... that well, you if you think about uh, the mining industry uh, as an example, mm -hmm. um, you know, they can drive trucks on a mine site from hundreds of kilometres away mm -hmm. and, and see what they're doing there, um, any type of transport uh, function... Um, healthcare is coming along. So I think real estate has been a laggard in that space, but is quickly getting on board with those opportunities. Um, and once we, once you can automate and um, uh, drive efficiency out of those maintenance tasks, then all of a sudden you're uplifting the customer experience because things are being uh, repaired or identified before the customers had a chance to notice and complain. Mm -hmm. So that's good. But then you're also able to invest some of those resources into improving the customer experience, uh, you know, wellness and other programs that we do. But yeah. do, 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 is the does the customer expectation just is it? Are you seeing it increase in line with capability? Um, yes, it's probably more uh, increasing in line with the market and competition, yep. and um, you know end of trip facilities used to be you a know, nice, nice thing to have. Yeah. Now, you know, they've got to be marble and gold clad and have natural light and uh, <laughs> hair straighteners, you know, so. <laughs> For middle-aged men, yeah. you've got to like it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, over the last 10 years, you've seen that offering become more and more high-end, more akin to something you might see in a, um, a hotel mm. or a club or something like that. So um, I think the market's driving that expectation in part and everyone you know trying to compete and outdo um, the other aspect is that over the next five to seven years we'll see the median of the workforce tip to be predominantly generation y and z mm -hmm. so at the moment or as of a couple of years ago the median was at generation x with more than half x and boomer um, as the boomers retire and we have gen z come in we're looking at a generation that is um, hyper-connected, mobile, they work differently, have vastly differing expectations around technology based on the experience they've had um, out, of, out of the workplace, so at home. Mm -hmm. And that's what will drive, I think, where we need to invest and improve services in buildings is the expectation of those generations. So what kind of changes do you, like what are you seeing to hit the mm. ground now and what do you think might be coming down the pike? So uh, more seamless um, uh, experiences as it relates to access mm. is a good example. So, um, you know, everyone's carrying around plastic access cards visitor management, there's still a lot of manual sign-in systems, how do they get in, you know, all of that. So the ability to have access via your mobile device, I think will be really important for mm -hmm. that generation because everything else they manage through that mobile device, every other identity they have is through that device. So why wouldn't, you know, that also be able to provide them access? Um, and taking away some of those frictional touch points and sign-in procedures, how can you automate sending someone a welcome note and an access token and um, improve the welcoming experience mm -hmm. without the, 
you know, clunky kind of signing in uh, process. Uh, that would be a good example. Because um, everyone does seem to struggle with that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not... Um, compared to... I mean, technology in general, I asked this question uh, at quite a few panels I've spoken on this year around do you have a better experience with technology at home than you do at the workplace? Mm. And, you know, of usually course. 75% or more of the audience will say, def- like, at home. Um, and if you think about why that is, it's e- super easy to connect. Like, it, it works. Mm. You can turn on your smart TV, flick to Netflix or Stan or play your Spotify over your wireless speakers. Um, but you come to work and there's you know multiple logins, it's clunky, you can't download that thing, you don't have admin ru- So there's this whole experience gap. Mm. And I think organisations that can close that gap and land- landlords that can work with occupiers to close that gap will be better positioned to attract a talent to those organisations. Because for that generation, how the organisation approaches tech is very important factor in choosing where they want to work. So, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. And it makes me think where, so who's providing that, who will be providing the tech solution? Mm-hmm. So if we look at the sort of technology landscape in commercial real estate at the moment, and you're sort of talking about the experience at home. Yep. So consumer tech is just far better than enterprise yep. tech from an experience point of view in, you know, for one reason, because an enormous amount more is invested mm-hmm. in it. Um, so who's going to be providing these seamless solutions mm. in the workplace? Yeah. Um, it, will it be current providers? Will it be landlords doing their own thing? Will it be new entrants? I think it's, um, I mean, the way our model is evolving, it's, it's shaping up to be collaboration and partnership. So um, finding an appropriate uh, technology provider, so someone that can build the platform or product or experience uh, that you would like to work with, um, doing that but then there's always an element if we're really going to nail this of integrating with the customer as well and their systems Mm -hmm. because um you know an example we're working working through at the moment is room booking so we're developing a really you know beautiful slick room booking tool um that will enable our customers to book flexible space within our portfolio now that experience will be made significantly better if the customer can give access to their directory so that the people who are booking can find the people and add them to meeting rather than manually doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, the hurdle for the customer is the security and how we do that and what's the API. So um, we need to get, there needs to be more comfort and you know, uh, I think templating, if you like, of those security protocols. But if we can nail that, then the opportunities are quite significant. Mm. Um, but it takes those three parties, the technology provider, the landlord, and then the occupier to recognise that benefit and want to, um, you know, work through that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got this, um, you know, this, this, this theory around how technology is going to, like what technology will win. Um, and I, again, I take a step back and I say, well, you know, if I've got my mobile device, like how many how many operating systems in the world are there that I have to choose from? Mm. Like, at a simplistic level, there are two. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so, and they work so well because there are two that cover mm-hmm. the world. So, something that I have, um, sort of an observation that I would have about a lot of the technology that is being applied in this particular industry, and I don't think it's yep. peculiar um, to, to any others, is that um, technology is a game of scale. Um, mm-hmm. So, the smaller, the rel- relative yep. size of something makes it harder to provide that. Amazing experience yes. I think everyone longs for because yep. building tech is hard. Yes, mm. it is. So yeah. how does that? Building tech is very hard, um, and it's just like a super noisy market mm. in terms of the number of vendors. Yep. Um, I went to Realcom in the US in June, mm-hmm. which is a big tech conference, yep. and they're tracking like three thousand uh, technology providers or something. So. Mm. Um, they're not all going to be successes. No. <laughs> there has to be some consolidation. So it's, um, you know, you, you need to choose quite carefully and go through a process to ensure that, um, you know, companies that have only been around a few years, are they going to be successful in the future? Is their product, um, does it work? If they're a product that goes in in the development cycle, you know, has it been around long enough to actually be truly tested? Mm. 
Um, there's really good marketing out there. What's the underlying tech? Um, so they're questions that we're constantly being challenged with. And for us, we're finding the easiest way to overcome that is to do pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to steer away from RFPs and more so actually do really small scale pilots mm-hmm. um, in a building. And then, you know, if we like it, they like us. Working together is super important in this area yep. as well looking at how we scale that across the portfolio. So there's a few different um, technology solutions we've done that with this year that we're starting to talk sort of scale up mode now. Cool. Mm. Uh, do, do, you see, um, do you see there'll be a day when sort of an AMP Capital will say, look, there is now a provider in the market that basically everyone's using, or there's one or two. Um, so it becomes less of a differentiating, um, a differentiating point between different... Yep. Um, competing yes. landlords or, yes. or real estate groups uh, yeah. be, be, because somebody has you know yeah cracked it and they've just you know they're, they're getting yeah i um, think i mean a good example so we did a um we've been doing a pilot on some mobile access technology so using bluetooth yep. to access the building uh which is fantastic and we've had um some competitors actually come down to take a look at it mm. which i facilitated um but the company's from the u.s mm-hmm. so but for us, if there's a bit more scale in the Australian market for this organisation, that's a good thing for us. That mm. helps us. Um, the other thing is, is that a lot of our customers are national or international and a technology like mobile access is more beneficial for them if they have it at many locations. Mm-hmm. So there are some technologies that it works for us if, they're, if they do scale up yeah. and it some becomes... Yeah, some that don't. So... Yeah, I think it's more, are we doing it, um, making sure we have that offer. Yeah, Yeah, I must admit, I, I always thought, um, although it would appear that it's not the case now, I thought that was WeWork's game. I thought you know, everyone would, would talk about WeWork in the sense of scaling up the mm. physical space, and I thought there aren't you know, venture capital-style returns from bricks and mortar yeah. real estate. You just can't squeeze any more out of that yeah. model. So I always thought that they were looking to build the technology stack using their own portfolio as their sandbox yes. to then come and say, we've built this from the ground up, we're a tech company and a real estate company, there it is. Like, that's, that's, that made yeah. sense to me, but it doesn't seem... Well, to I mean, it wouldn't appear that from the last no. couple of months and what you read in the news, but I interestingly, I did visit WeWork in the US in June and went to their uh, New York headquarters, so their head office, mm-hmm. And we were um, shown around by a regional director for leasing, mm-hmm. and he gave us some insights into some of the technology they've been using for leasing mm. and their ability to track the deals. And they had something like 80 deals at various stages just in, in Manhattan at that point in time. Mm. Uh, but their access to information, something you know we could only dream of. Yeah. Um, but their ability to do that because they're a young organisation and they could start from scratch, yeah, significantly uh, ahead of mm. organisations that have been around a long time and have legacy systems to, to deal with. Um, but we asked him, I was there with, with a colleague and we had asked him if he considered WeWork to be a technology, uh, real estate or a tech company. He said a tech company. Mm. So, yeah, I think they have purchased, they would typically find a provider work with them, build out their product, buy the company, yep. bring those people in, and they've done that across many platforms. Mm. So there's probably a lot of inherent value in those pieces of the puzzle, but I yeah, so. I think that's being flushed out at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they're sort of <laughs> yeah. cutting things off and yeah. selling some stuff, and a few of the things there looked like they were part of that core yeah. offering, which is the bit that yeah. I was confused at, but that's an interesting space to watch. Um, just a slight change of, um, of direction. Um, you're fairly, or, heavily involved in the property council yes um you're currently on the sustainability oh sorry the um uh diversity the diversity committee uh for new south wales um so i gave you a heads up Mm. on this because i think it's really for me it's an interesting question how can um how can the physical space how can a workplace promote um, the agenda of diversity and, and improve outcomes in that area Look, I mean, it has to start with culture and it has to start with senior leadership and it, and it has to be um, visible action taken. Um, I'm, I consider myself very lucky because AMP has great diversity at all levels of the organisation and um, it's been actually a bit eye-opening in the diversity committee and um, 
getting some exposure to other parts of real estate that are probably the real estate sector that are a little bit further behind mm -hmm. or even as I've um, stretched into this technology space, uh, we, um, the conference that I went to in the US in June had sub 10% female speakers mm -hmm. as an example across hundreds. Um, so you start to you know, grow that awareness of where things um, aren't going so well. But, I mean, why are certain pockets going well and, and what is working well? I think it's leadership, it's taking, like, taking action, um, an element of quotas or reporting, um, you know, I support. Um, and then the inclusion part of the diversity is really important. So making sure that uh, everybody has a voice um, in that diversity mix as well. Yeah, I just, because um, I'm quite fascinated by mm. this, I had the sort of privilege or not, um, depending on which way I looked at it, to be involved in um, a process of, um, sort of moving from one building to another, being mm -hmm. on a premises committee uh, and for an organisation that had been yeah. in one building for um, for a long time, a lot of different views, mm. um, views on that. So it opened my mind to um, how how the physical space can impact on so many yeah. things and um, so you know wondering whether you know if it's talking about circulation of people or, or visibility or uh, like all of those different physical elements whether they can improve yeah. a range of things that would include that I mean my, my thought is because I'm optimistic in that regard is that I think you could improve those outcomes amongst a whole lot of others but um, uh, yeah, I mean, space space planning is a part of it. I don't, I mean, I can't really think off the top of my head of really clear examples other than, you know, facilities that cater for um, all genders mm. and, um, you know, other types of diversity, uh, prayer rooms or uh, breastfeeding rooms or the likes. But I think that's low-hanging fruit in mm. my mind yeah. and many organi organisations have, have tackled that. Mm. I would like to hope so at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I know I'm certainly cycle, um, but yeah. no, not at all sort of steering um, away from the importance of more the other I think, I mean, it's about, for me, it's about visibility and um, you can't, you know, go back to my comment around female speakers at this conference and something the Property Council's done so well is make sure that uh, there's good gender diversity on all panels. Mm -hmm. um, but as a young woman starting out in your career, so where I was 10 years ago, you're always looking out for who are the, who are the people that I could be like, who are the role models? And if you're not seeing them there on stage, you've got, you know, you don't, you don't see yourself fitting in as that. Could I do technology? It's always men. In fact, the time when I was being hired to move from being a contract FM to work at AMP, and I was tapped on the shoulder, I actually said to the person, I was a bit naive, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not experienced enough to do that role. Because in my yeah. mind, everyone yeah. that had done it was in their 40s and male and, you know, yep. why would I at 28 be able to have that opportunity? So it's really important, that visibility, and, yeah, it's coming back to, I guess, walking the talk in mm. the organisation. Yeah, no, I would agree yeah. that the Property Council's done, yeah. um, done an amazing job. I actually spent sort of a year on the Queensland... Oh, fantastic. Uh, committee yeah. as well uh, before I sort of left to do this, yeah. which is a disappointing thing that I had to leave behind. Um, I'm interested in what's driving the change, you know, the, the technological change that we're, that we're talking about in the sense of, and, and you, I think you were touching on it before, is it, um, is it landlords competing against each other? Are, are landlords constantly moving the bar higher is it tenant led as mm. they say um dragging things along like yeah uh, what's the what's the yeah. bigger factor i'm sure they're both a factor but definitely both a factor so we're i mean we sort of categorize our strategy in three streams one is around um protect and secure so making sure that data is secure that assets are secure and systems um, so there's an investment in tech just for that reason and um, that's, you know, defensive spend. It's protecting mm -hmm. your customers' data and the brand and everything else. Um, and then uh, we talk about value creation in two ways. Um, one is customer experience. So how does technology enhance any experience for the customer through touch points or apps or whatever that might be? The other one and the big one is operational efficiency. So how are we able to save money on 
you know, maintenance and energy and other outgoings so that that can improve the return of the asset. Um, and they're all linked, right? Because if you've got better operational efficiency, you'll attract more customers and then you'll have the money to invest in those experiences. Um, but we're really looking to see one of those two boxes ticked um, in terms of operational efficiency or the customer experience. Um, competitions apart, but I, I get the sense and I'm reasonably close with um, you know, my colleagues uh, in the industry in this space that we're all grappling with the same issues mm -hmm. in tech at the moment. Yep. And it's very easy, easy-ish to do a new smart building <laughs> when you're starting from scratch and you can design that. It does, you know, it comes with its challenges, but um, you know, most of the building stock in Australia is existing. So how are we, how are we uplifting the service, the technology and those assets? Um, and that's harder because every single building is different, different systems, you know, different BMS, everything. Um, so it's trying to drive efficiency in a program where the delivery is different almost every time. So, so have you got like a, um, is there a dedicated cycle across the whole portfolio to bring your buildings up to a certain level or do, do some you look at, and I've lots of factors I'm yeah. sure that will come in on that saying, look, for what we want to do with that building or where it's currently yeah. positioned, it's just not worth making that investment. Absolutely. So it's got, got to be, um, the investment has to be right for that, wherever that asset is in the market that it's positioned. So, you know, a premium office building in a CBD location, um, is that all right? Mm. <laughs> uh, should, you know, we need to be readying that building to compete against the newer buildings that are coming out of the ground in those locations. Um, so that's you know, quite a high level of investment, but also it's something that takes five years, not one. You can't wake up one morning and decide you want your building to be a smart building to yep. compete with Key Quarter yep. in 12 months' time. It, it, it just takes longer than that. And it's a little bit like sustainability, if, you, if we draw that parallel again. Um, Neighbours' ratings weren't achieved overnight. Mm. We got five and six-star ratings through a decade of investment technologies in existing buildings is, is a bit the same mm -hmm. we need to start chipping away at that over those periods so that those buildings remain competitive against their peer set um, and then in your kind of fringe assets or b grade it might just be tweaking things to drive operational efficiency because the customers there care more about their costs yeah. their outgoings so they're in those buildings for that profile, so yeah. we do have um, a strategy that um, talks to those different markets yeah but key court is an interesting one as we're sort of sitting in its shadow um, where, mm -hmm. we're, um, where we're talking now um, so you've got um, so AMP is uh, and um, and Deloitte uh, the sort of anchor yep. tenants for that and that oh, sort of on my question about the tenant demands and how mm -hmm. they're driving that that struck me as potentially quite an interesting contrast um, uh, you know I'm sure there's still an arm's length negotiation yep. on the AMP mm. side of things, but the dynamic would mm. be died, will, will be quite different, I imagine. Yep. Um, so I'm, I suppose, keen to look at each of them on the Deloitte side. You know, has that set new standards in um, in what you're going to be delivering yeah. for Deloitte in, in this building? Look, it was uh, absolutely a part of the attraction for them into this building, and. Um, we're committed to working in collaboration with Deloitte over uh, technology offerings and integration and um, being able to understand what insights we can provide them and you know what data we share, how we make those user experiences really seamless. Um, what, what do those negotiations look like? That sounds like that's a yeah. I, I, I imagine quite a novel, uh, quite a novel discussion that's been had. And at it's the something moment. that's that's. Uh, being had more and more around um, around the you know between landlords and, and their customers um, in the last year or so, mm. and I think um, broadly speaking, landlords are becoming more open to sharing. But um, I said to someone the other day, your FM's been sharing that data with their FM, mm. you know, on the side anyway, because that's the way they manage the relationship, and it's all built on trust mm -hmm. and that this sort of thing. So. Um, I think unofficially, there's probably across the industry facility managers that have giving BM, you know, giving a login or look, you know, mm. access only, and and that's happening. But it's how do you formalise those data sharing arrangements and ownership arrangements um, 
uh, under under a lease or other yep. agreement. So I just imagine. I yeah, can just imagine yeah, that yeah. negotiation. So um, it's like in the days when sort of neighbours' ratings were newer things, and there yes. was those discussions around the impact of a particular yeah. operational method or style or density yeah. of a tenant, and impact on like, and how how do we how can yeah. like, can we draw a connection between the two and what the consequences yeah. are? And to be frank. I'll, Early on, no one really knew what they were talking about. Certainly, the lawyers. Yes. Are, yes. <laughs> argue yeah. about lots of things. Does it look a bit similar now, or is it? Oh, a bit... look a bit similar. I think the, I think landlord and tenant relationships have evolved a lot over the years, mm. anyway. And there is a much more partnership approach to these things. I think technology um, also enables that to be or data to be shared or segregated or copied or to have you know read-only access to something um, so that's enabling that to happen uh, much more easily as well uh, it's look it's an evolution but I know that it's it's certainly you know there's a lot of um, landlords being asked those questions mm. yeah. I mean I have this, this this thought about retail where you know there, there's this you know age-old dynamic of landlord v yeah. tenant you know mm-hmm. across all um, the, the different asset classes, but I, I look at retail and think it's it really isn't landlord v tenant anymore. It's um, it's bricks and mortar versus mm-hmm. e-commerce, and and um, well, in, in certain respects, it is. That's certainly a, a battleground. And so, people that normally were um, at loggerheads mm. now need to make friends because yeah. they've got a they've got a different foe, and the only way they're going to yeah. be prosperous, I think, or part of it is is yeah. a much more collaborative approach. Absolutely. And, you know, we see that around our ability, uh, particularly in in data that you can capture for various marketing purposes, being, you know, foot traffic and Wi-Fi and analytics and, um, you know, being able to offer our customers tailored um, marketing or offerings that the retailers can bring to the table because we're able to give a retailer some really rich data around who their customer is Mm. because we can understand that from the Wi-Fi service offering and the customer benefits because they're getting a great offer that they wouldn't otherwise have had access to. So um, that's absolutely a space that's evolving uh, rapidly and the integration of many pieces of data. So it's not just then the Wi-Fi that stands alone, but how do you, how are we bringing in um, sentiment data, the weather, the you know foot traffic, so yeah. all sorts of things and overlaying that and driving insights and predicting um, you know, even what you might want to offer customers based on what the weather's planning to be this Saturday. Because mm. we know that if it's raining, yep. maybe there's more, you know, mums and kids coming to the centre yep. or that sort of thing. So, That's yeah. That's fascinating. Mm. Um, I actually thought that um, that mobile payment providers are a really interesting one. And when Facebook, who knows if we'll get out, yep. um, but Facebook with Libra, I looked at that and immediately I thought that could be an absolute game changer mm. for... Um, for bricks and mortar retail mm-hmm. because you have um, the most information on yes. the individual that yep. would ever have been collected. I know there are meant to be barriers there, but I'm sure there are ways yeah. that they can yeah. get around that. You've got locational tracking, yeah. you've got payments. So as a, you know, that triple threat of what could really give you like that amazing, amazingly rich set of data yep. um, on the people coming into your building. I, I thought, I think that's a really interesting space. Definitely. Seems to have yep. been slowed down a bit by those pesky yeah. regulators in different parts and of look, the world. And look, there's Wi-Fi as an example, you know, Wi-Fi analytics companies that can also do loyalty programs. So that are customers, you know, we can, you could tr- potentially track their spend or they mm-hmm. could buy credits at the shopping centre, spend that way, but they're buying them at a discount, but in return, you know, we get that data. Mm. So it's all sort of in its infancy. Yeah. And I think the really smart, um, you know, people that are driving insights from that are working rapidly on what the products are and mm. lots of pilots and tests going on yeah, uh, in that market. Yeah. yeah. I just thought the, the ubiquity of Facebook, though, yeah. just seemed like... Yeah. Wow, well, it's um, interesting, um, you know, with these younger generations, I think Facebook is at the the social media of choice. No, it certainly isn't. Uh, mm. So, and how they'll view that platform. Yeah, well, they seem to be aging down with sort of acquiring the next platform. And, um, and You know, Afterpay and there's other uh, payment companies mm. coming through. 
it's a fascinating bit space. Of, with that, yeah, generation. Um, sorry, I, I jumped off, off topic right. there. The with with key quarter, um, I was also interested with with AMP. Whether mm. were, were, were there any aspects, or will there be any aspects of AMP's tenancy in that building where? you're testing some things like doing some cool stuff so you can use that as a showcase yeah. for um, uh, definitely so. and we're trying so we're doing stuff here in this building now mm -hmm. um, in preparation for key quarter and in other parts of our portfolio so um, having a you know a lab type environment where um, we can test space utilization mobile access is another example doing some integration on you know some back-end systems um, really trying to work through all those um, different problems and you know, I've got a strong feeling that I don't want any tech going into key quarter that hasn't already been piloted somewhere in my portfolio mm -hmm. um, and being given a test run so it's great you know we've already got those opportunities happening but yeah would intend to continue to do that in our new premises. Mm, it'll be exciting. Yeah. So will um, everyone from this building will be moving next door what two and a half years? Yeah. Three years is yeah. It? About two and a half years, yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, we touched on co-working before. Mm. Um, spoke a little bit about WeWork, but just looking at the general industry, um, like it seems from where I sit to have had a big impact on how office landlords manage their portfolios mm -hmm. and their buildings now. Um, do, would you agree with that? And, Definitely. And, 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 and sort of what changes are you have you seen, say, over the past mm. five years as a result of that? Um, well, obviously, the, the whole co-working space is growing, although by percentage of total NLA within the Australian market, it's still very low, like less than 2%, I mm -hmm. think, on a total market basis, maybe a little bit higher in Sydney. Um, so it's a small proportion, but still has a reasonable impact. Uh, where you're seeing is potentially a lot of those smaller organisations, obviously, using that space as a service and then larger, larger organisations using it for project space is a big one. Yep. Um, in terms, you know, as a portfolio manager, our approach to that and when we look at um, flexible workspace, we're considering, you know, what, what, what does it mean to our customers and for them, for us, it's an opportunity to give them additional amenity, to give them that flexibility, to give them that alternate place to work, to provide additional meeting rooms and facilities that they may not have otherwise had um, you know the space for on floor so it's very much about um, how we can give them spaces that enable their success um, as amenity to drive the leasing in the traditional asset so so for us it's a it's a way to attract and retain our customers by having a an offering within the building mm. um, albeit not of significant scale yep. but yeah. And do you, do you think that the industry has, um, like, will there be some consolidation settling down with it? Do you think its levels are about... Um, are about, uh, are about so I've seen research reports from the sort of, you know, big global agencies predicting that it could be up to 30% by 2030. Mm -hmm. wow. so that's significant. Mm. That would be, you know, 30% of every building would be co-working. Um, but... Even if you say that's an aggressive target and it's half of that, 15% mm. from where we're at at 3% is still significant. Mm. So um, there's a lot more change, I think, happening. There'll be more players come to market. There'll be other scale. You know, very interesting to see what happens with WeWork, mm -hmm. but um, the customer base is there yep. and more you know, younger generations will want to work in that way, more likely you know, the whole gig economy and all that sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the growth is there and it's about having a strategy around that. And I think more and more briefs that are coming to market from occupiers have a mix of traditional flex project space requirements and they're asking landlords, how can you meet all of these mm -hmm. and what's the tech overlay yeah. and, you know, <laughs> all the other stuff. Yeah. So, so what, uh, I mean, I can imagine that presents, you know, at 2%, mm. to me it seems like a nice, like it's mutually beneficial mm -hmm. um, a lot of smaller tenancies yeah. which i imagine are inefficient to run as a yeah. landlord they're kind of scooped up and they're put in this this yeah. um you know this great facility that's in you know a building that you own so you're you know and, yeah. and you're benefiting the, the bigger tenants as well I, I get all of that 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 sounds like it makes sense but if you get to 15 percent, that's 
seems to be going beyond that, perhaps mm. giving away more yeah. um, than the landlord would want to give. And then you're also, you've got a competition of, um, of environments or cultures or sort of amenity offerings. Yeah. Um, like, like how, how do you think, yeah. is, that, is that something that's still a bit far away to be focusing too much time and it's not the Look, last of hanging It's certainly through. conversations that people have. Mm. Um, you know, how far away is it going to really have an impact when, you know, the Sydney and Melbourne office markets um, are doing incredibly well, mm. vacancies really low, um, you know, you're still easily signing up large 10-year leases. Yep. Um, so... You know, when when does that turn and when does the cycle turn and does the economy have to shift a bit for that to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it will be interesting to see how that unfolds. But my, I guess my feeling is what we're seeing is large briefs come to market that have that component of flexible space or project space. Yep. So, you know, maybe 10 years ago they'd come to market with 10,000 square metres. Now they're saying they want 7,000 but they want a thousand metres of flexible space somewhere in the building and they want project space that they can tap into with six months notice at a market rate. And And that could be suites or something so they can do project So how do you, how how is like, how are landlords normally accommodating that in the sense of are they partnering up with a WeWork or a Regis or or, or somebody Uh, else or are they trying to service that themselves? Some landlords are creating their own product. Some are doing partnership arrangements. Um, Others are, I mean, for example, in Key Quarter, so we'll have uh, about 4,000 square metres of a flexible workspace um, and we'll seek to partner with an operator because it's very specialised, it's, Mm. you know, you could almost say it's more hospitality than workspace in some areas. So, um, you know, really partnering with the right operator that can bring that to life for the something that's the product that key quarter will be. Um, So you're seeing that in order to, and what you'll see is developments all around, in order to get that anchor tenant, you've got to give up what might have previously been 4,000 square metres of straight lease somewhere. but you'll see that scenario played out over and over again, mm. you know, in most new developments. Yep. And then as buildings get refurbished, if they want to be able to attract, um, you know, larger yep. tenants, yep. that's going to be a component of the deal. So I think you'll just see that evolve maybe get over the next decade, yep. um, almost naturally through. It, it, it seemed like a lot of players dip their toe in the water of like a variety of different form factors mm. and, and use cases of you know flexible space and they've retreated a bit they've come and said oh these professional operators actually that it's better for me yes. overall just to, to yeah. let them come in and people haven't mm. progressed with that do you think there's still room for like you know I won't say name pick up I don't want to put yep. words in your mouth but is there room for an operator to uh, or sorry a large landlord to come in and say we're going to have our own branded offering that we think is is different and is a point of difference for coming to one of our buildings. Definitely. Um, And there's more global co-working operators that are looking to get come to Australia. Mm. I know several that are looking for the right moment, but they want to almost come in at scale, have multiple locations. So they're looking for two to 4,000 square metres in, you know, certain capital cities and things like that. Um, So there's a lot of people still wanting to get into this market. Um, In terms of, you know, can a landlord do that? Absolutely. Mm. Um, our approach is at, at this point about giving them the amenity of flexible space kind of without the co-working part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's almost provided on floor. We might have some project suites, um, but it's really the meeting room, uh, the town hall spaces, the third space where you can have casual meetings. So all the parts that um, occupies are, you know, for efficiency reasons, perhaps not putting on floor. Yep. Yeah, no, makes sense. So it's like mm. there's a there's spectrum of offerings, yeah. and yeah, you know, from that, a light that, sort of that transition line, third space, mm. right into your heavy kind of co-working yep. and suites, and it's a blend, and it depends on the asset and the market and um, what your anchor tenant wants <laughs> to get that deal done. Louise, we're always coming to the end. Um, I've really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you. I just wanted to, um, in the context of your new role that you were mm. um, mentioning, what are you excited about most? With that right now, it seems like an amazing opportunity. What, what's really 
uh, piquing your interest right now? Yeah, I think there's an incredible amount of opportunity for a real estate platform to leverage data and insights into decision-making and investment decisions. And I think um, that happens in the industry, but there can be far more automation around that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're sort of putting in the foundations for that at the moment. Um, And it's almost one of those things you have to put the foundations there, you get your data in and sorted, get the right people looking at it and then, you know... Garbage in equals garbage out. Yeah, insights coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the asset technology space, um, the opportunity to integrate the portfolio into that single kind of national operation centre style arrangement and to automate maintenance and fault detection um, and do things, you know, remotely, uh, I think that's a huge opportunity. But again, these are projects that take, you know, several years Mm. of readiness. So it's almost, you know, start now to be done in five years' time. Sounds very exciting. Final question, which I ask everyone. Um, My wife tells me it's a terrible way to phrase Uh it because I say, what are you obsessed about? But Uh what what thing outside of work and family is sort of captivating your attention at the moment in a way that is probably more than usual? Uh, So I'm quite big into my netball. Yep. And I like to umpire Mm -hmm. netball. So for me, it's a bit of a, it's almost like meditation. When you're umpiring a sport, you're using... Physically, like, and, and I park at quite a um, elite level, mm. if you like, not professional, but elite. And um, uh, so it's physically testing, but also mentally testing in terms of decision making. So I find for that hour, it's a hundred percent focus, uh, and it does the same, has the same effect as meditation almost. Wow! There you go. I've never thought of it like that, <laughs> Louise. Thanks. I really enjoyed My it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. That was Louise Munger the newly appointed Program Director for Technology and Innovation for Real Estate at AMP Capital. And this is the Field Trip Podcast. If you want to reach out, you can find us at fieldql.com, on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching FieldQL, and by email at info at fieldql.com. Intro and outro music by XCF Productions. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you next time.